One of my closest friends is a hitting coach with the Pittsburgh Pirates, Andy okay. Haynes. And we started off coaching at independent ball together forever ago, like decades okay. ago. Okay. And, you know, he would always, you know, like give me credit, but tease me at the same time because at that point there was no analytic databases. There was okay. house sports data for minor league coaches. <laughs> so literally like binary, you know, like just like <laughs> the most basic black and white batting average against and you get to really dig. Yeah. And so, you know, that first couple of years when I coached with Andy, I lived in a, a host family, Okay. you know, rented a, a, yeah. a bedroom basically. But then um, my host mom was a retired teacher. Okay. So she had a whole like work area downstairs. So after games, I'd be down there by myself, you know, the TV, the computer, mm-hmm. you know, the whatever, Apple TV, whatever, yeah. like this, the super old school computer yeah. tower yeah. and printing out like before every series like 200 pages of data oh yeah and sorting through it and handwriting it into index cards to have in the dugout so i can make better decisions on matchups it's always always uh-huh. about you know like like we talked about before if you're not in it in the business to help players and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be in it yeah but i was like you know players have such a, a you know finite whatever that for each person it obviously it varies but mm-hmm. what a finite window to maximize their potential yeah before the sand kind of runs out of the yep. hourglass. Mm-hmm. So it's like my responsibility to get them to be, to optimize them mm-hmm. as quick as I could, right? Yeah. And that, so anyway, so he would always tease me because I would have books and books and books uh-huh. of all this printed out data and like handwritten notes and then, yeah. in, you know, condensing it into the index cards. Uh-huh. And then, you know, so there was an article about me in the athletic, I don't know, when I was working for Chicago. Okay. And, you know, he was, he just called me and said, hey man, like you were data driven before there was data to be driven, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. For all my new listeners out there, you're in the right place to hear about all of these conversations, strategies, and tips of how to optimize human performance. And for all of my returning listeners, thank you again for tuning in for another episode. And for everyone out there, if you haven't heard some of the past episodes, go check them out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. There's been a lot of great guest interviews, guests who've come on, shared their stories, their journey, and their experiences, something that we can learn and take away from to help us along our journey, whether that's with sports or activities that we're striving to get better at. And on top of that, there's been a lot of solo topics where I cover a bite-sized chunk of some aspect that deals with optimizing performance, whether that's injury prevention or rehabilitation, strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, or any other aspect that deals with leveling up your performance. And on top of that, go check out all of the free content that I have on my social media channels, also my YouTube channel as well. There's a lot of video highlight clips of these guest interviews where you can watch some of the video content that matches the audio that you've been listening to. Everything across the board, you can find me at h Movement. And if you're finding any benefit and value from this content, things on the podcast, things on my social media, be sure to share it with family, friends, coaches, colleagues, teammates, anyone else that would find value and this would help them along their journey to optimize their performance. Also, if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to interact with me, contact me through social media or directly through my website. You can email me at andrew at hnlmovement.com or contact me through my contact page. I would love to interact, hear some feedback or also make new content that answers some of your questions out there. 
And with all of that, we have a great guest interview planned. It was a pleasure to sit down and talk to this guest. It was such a fascinating conversation, and I learned so much every time I talked to him. And we have none other than Brendan Sagara on the podcast today. And he is a senior pitching strategist for the Texas Rangers, who just won the World Series. And he shares a lot of insights and experiences dating back from his childhood, growing up, playing baseball, falling in love with the sport, and all of the things that he's learned, not only as a player, but through his long coaching career. This is a great episode for all of the aspiring baseball players, but also all of the aspiring athletes and those that strive to play at higher levels of competitive sports. He shares a lot of insights as to how he's grown and developed as an athlete and how he's utilized that to help and relate to all of the athletes that he's worked with over his coaching career. And on top of that, we talk a lot about the evolution of his coaching career and the evolution of tools, resources, and science, and how that's helped to maximize players' potentials quicker than ever before. It's so interesting to hear his story and how everything has come together to pave the path that has helped him make such a big impact in the world of baseball. I don't want to spoil anything more. There's so many great gems in this episode, and it was just great to have a casual conversation with someone that brings as much experience as Brendan does. He also gives some insights into where baseball has come, all of the things that we're doing with data and analytics to really help to make an impact with player development. And with all of that, there's so many great things to soak up from this episode. So sit back and enjoy this one. Welcome back everyone to the HL Movement Podcast. For everyone out there, this is going to be a very fascinating episode. It shows how much evolution and growth, not only in the field of sports, but specifically baseball. But today I have a very interesting guest and conversation that's gonna be had today. And we have none other than Brendan Sagara on the podcast today. And he's the senior pitching strategist for the Texas Rangers. So thank you so much for joining me, Brendan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is gonna be a very interesting one. You know, I, I met you, we've talked a few times and it's always so fascinating to hear how much growth year to year is happening not only in professional baseball but it's really taking all of the tools that we have the resources and actually measuring things that predict how we should train people athletes how we should you know progress them to reach certain targets or certain goals and of course optimize their performance so before we get into all of that let's start with your backstory Explain a little bit about your childhood. You grew up here, right? You're from Wahiawai area, I believe. So explain what was it like growing up playing sports and, you know, falling in love with baseball too. I mean, it was great. I mean, it was such a, like an insular community, right? I mean, my mom had seven siblings. My dad had four, you know, uncles and aunties and cousins everywhere. So very safe upbringing, right? We're outdoors a lot. Um, yeah. You know, the same friends we had in high school we had since kindergarten, right? You, just, <laughs> you know, it was just such a comforting place to grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, but with that said, I mean, just the outdoor lifestyle and playing every sport you can imagine yeah. <laughs> was just a blast, right? And, you know, just, um, you know, got into baseball in the second grade. It was okay. funny, like, uh, my mom is Okinawan and they're like uh, the Okinawan club out there. And then mm-hmm. one of the Little League coaches was looking for players. So he just started cold calling all of the families with kids of a certain age. Mm-hmm. And he called our house. And, you know, I, I had already kind of started to watch baseball on TV and was kind of into mm-hmm. it and interested. And um, it ended up being one of the best things, obviously, that happened in my life. Like it's led to what I'm doing yes. now. But, um, you know, you couldn't have a better first experience in sports where... Um, you know, he was a postman by trade. Tatsu Ige was his name. Okay. And, like, you know, we played on the plantation. Okay. So I grew up, you know, in Wahiawa, but I spent a lot of time in Pomoho Village, okay. which was a pineapple camp, right? Um, right outside of Wahiawa on the way to the North Shore. Uh-huh. You know, so we'd play tag in the pineapple fields before practice, before <laughs> the coaches showed up. And, 
you know, five o'clock, the Manapua man would come and take a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you'd have your, you know, those old, uh, you know, those patent leather Toyota bags they used yeah. to give out. And you had the side pocket with all your quarters in it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you made your mom and dad always loaded you up. And then <laughs> five o'clock, that guy started coming around the camp. <laughs> and we'd all just drop everything, <laughs> run off the field, grab our bags, go line up and buy whatever. Shave ice or Manapua or pork hash or... Uh-huh. Snickers, you know, whatever, right? And that was our break. That was our one break during practice every day. And um, those guys that I played with growing up, I mean, they were my teammates through high school, a lot Mm. of them. Um, You know, a couple of my uncles were coaching on that team. It was just a really good time, you know, just really, everything was really positive. They're all really good men, really good role models. Mm -hmm. Um, We just had a blast, dude. Like, it was a really good introduction to sport. And probably a big reason why, you know, I started to, you know, truly fall in love with baseball. Yeah. You know, over the years, and it really became obviously my my life and my occupation. Right? Yes, no, that's crazy, and it's it's crazy when we think about those types of things, right? Because it's not even the sport necessarily; it's that experience, the camaraderie, your friends, right? All of that, and it created such a positive experience for you that it's led to something that grew and grew, right? Explain a little bit about what was baseball like growing up, and you know, was it something that you were exposed to by like siblings or anything else outside of your friends and kind of what was the practice schedule the competition were you playing like other sports year throughout the year too or was baseball year round what was that experience like i mean being from a small town we just kind of evolved into whether sports season was going yeah, on exactly. you know baseball to soccer to basketball to <laughs> track you know obviously we did judo and like uh-huh. flag football you know all those things right we just played kind of everything yeah. um volleyball for a little while in like <laughs> yeah. elementary school and middle school for, yeah. for the yeah. for the school team but um yeah i mean you know it was it was interesting because i remember as a kid even you know kindergarten first grade kind of being drawn to baseball like mm-hmm. they had the game of the week that was the only time you could really watch like mm-hmm. a major league game back in those days yeah. Yeah. and i remember like distinctly standing in front of our TV at home, uh-huh. trying to stand like Pete Rose <laughs> and like facing the pitcher and trying to get my timing, you know, like before yeah. I even played a single second of baseball, mm-hmm. you know? So when the opportunity, when, you know, the coach started calling around yeah. and had the opportunity and my mom asked me if I wanted to play baseball, I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I want to play baseball. So it was love at first sight. I mean, yeah. you know, I'd sleep in my uniform night before games <laughs> yeah, 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 and just jump out of bed and ready to go, you know, start swinging my bat in the patio. You know, my yeah. dad's like, ah, keep the noise down. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what are you doing? Your game's at 10. It's seven in the morning. Yeah, I'm ready to go, man. You know, <laughs> ready to go. have my cereal in uni. Like, let's go. Let's yeah. get in the car and go. No, that's awesome. What positions did you play? Obviously, when we're little kids, we play all over. But was there like a favorite position that you grew attached to when you were growing up and did that kind of stick and we all know that you pitched at university of hilo which we'll talk about Mm -hmm. a little bit but were you always like interested in pitching or was it something that kind of developed later i think kind of of fortunate right so the first position i played was shortstop and it's kind of where i stuck um but shortstop and pitcher always wanted to pitch you know like when you play coach pitch or t-ball like back then we called it t-ball um you know, you don't no pitcher. Yeah, so yeah. as soon as we get to like minor leagues, like 10 years old, like everyone mm-hmm. wants, I, I really wanted to pitch, right? Yeah. I always kind of wanted to be the guy in control of, in control of the game. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't afraid to su- fail or succeed. Yeah. Like I, I wanted that, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted the limelight. I wanted to be the guy that kind of won or lost the yeah. games for the club. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was in the infield and, you know, played a little bit of center field, but okay. um, a lot of shortstop and then a lot of, obviously a lot of pitching. But like once it. I started, it never stopped. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then kind of continued through high school, of course, in Got college. It. Yeah, you know, and it's so different, right? When you look at like every decade, I mean, every year there's so much advancements. With every decade, 
sports just seems to like level up right with the training with how you're approaching you know developing players and all of that was there a lot of things that you did outside of practice you know because now we know like everyone's going all over right mm-hmm. to get pitching lessons or hitting lessons or coaching right outside of practice but explain a little bit of what it was like for you when you grew up and being around baseball where was a lot of the development taking place was it more with the the club and outside league coaches did you do anything outside of that with your pitching development and what was that like yeah i definitely did i mean two things right so when i was younger my uncle james hirayama was like all-star player in high school got it um so he was like my first baseball mentor like uh-huh. he you know we'd have family parties and i'd show up with my <laughs> bag of bats and balls yeah, yeah. hey uncle let's go work on this i want to work on my backhand today. Yeah, yeah i want to work on hitting the ball to the opposite field like i want to be able to stay back on a changeup. Yeah. you know like at eight nine ten years old right yeah yeah and to his credit he never said no man like every <laughs> yeah, yeah. my mom would always be like one of these days uncle jamie's gonna say no i'm like well until he does i'm gonna keep asking <laughs> yeah. so that was part of it like i had i had you know like personal skill development which was great uh-huh. but i did a lot of outside work and that continued all the way through college mm-hmm. um you know high school you know we obviously have season and practice and all those things but then our catcher paul soriano who's still a good friend of mine mm-hmm. um i drag him to the field hey man i want to throw a bullpen hey i want to go throw a long toss yeah. and he's like oh man it's like october you know <laughs> it's soccer season hey man i gotta start throwing like i want to throw i want to go to Wahoo elementary like, bring your gear, let's go throw. Yeah. And uh, he's okay, well, you gotta throw me batting practice at the end, because he was a catcher, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, I was always seeking opportunities to get better, and like, we lived in Wahewa up the Heights. Mm-hmm. So we lived like near Royal Palm Drive, which is mm-hmm. like a half a mile straight uphill almost, right? Yeah. You know, 40 degree angle or something. Yeah. So I, I ran the hills a lot. I was always seeking uh-huh. ways to get better. Uh-huh. So, you know, my dad was not a baseball guy, but he would always go to the libraries. Okay. Back then, there were no videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to the libraries and make copies of the pitching sections of books. Ah. So I really learned how to pitch out of books from my dad. So he'd go to yeah. Wahio Library, he'd spend like $5 in quarters on copies yeah. and bring me like a stack of, you know, whatever, some someone's Bible of pitching, you know. Uh-huh. And that's how I learned all my grips and how to train. And um, I took it, you know, and like internalized it yeah. and took it outside. And then, you know, that continued even, you know, even through college in Hilo, uh-huh. right? I mean, there's not a lot to do, which is fine with me because it's a lot like Wahewa, uh-huh. but it gives you time to kind of self-direct your training, right? That's true. So when we weren't on the field, like I was always running or lifting on my own, uh-huh. always trying to find ways to get a competitive advantage. Uh-huh. No, that ex- I mean, that's super fascinating too, because as we'll get to, you know, what you're doing now, but even just following from books, right? You have to, one, you have to be very self-directed, but two, you have to be able to pick out all the information, right? And again, like looking at pictures or, you know, other things it's not like today right where you have video that you can just jump on live or you can watch videos of you know doing certain drills so different to work learn from like a two-dimensional picture but i think that's why you you are very good at your craft today because that's what you're looking at right data you're looking at all of these other metrics right but it's similar to dating back to your developmental years right Mm -hmm. just taking all of those whether it's copies from books or whatever it is and figuring out, okay, how do I apply this to me, mm-hmm. right? Explain a little bit about going through high school too and you were pitching and doing a lot more and you know, you went on to pitch at the college level too, mm-hmm. right? What was that phase like for you? Obviously trying to get as best as you can be, but what was it like to make that, I guess, transition from high school to college and also just help to develop your craft more and more? Well, it's interesting, right? So, like, you know, high school for me, if we, like in player development, like minor league development, now we call it skill acquisition. Uh-huh. So a lot of my activity in high school was tr- were trying to get my skills better. Yes. 
throw harder, bigger breaking ball, more run on the fastball, uh-huh. um, hit the ball harder, run faster. Like none of it was like <laughs> situational baseball, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah. was, uh, you know, like a, a shortcoming I had going into college. Like I had mm-hmm. raw tools, I threw hard, I had, you know, arm strength, mm-hmm. and I could spin the ball. Uh-huh. But like the concept of pitching, because uh-huh. it was so insular where I, pl- where I played, uh-huh. like our program wasn't very good in high school when I was there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we were pulling guys off the football field to come play. And they were <laughs> yeah. good. I, you know, we had some good players, but uh-huh. I mean, it wasn't like we had a lot of depth. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, it you know gave me a lot of opportunity to experiment. Mm. I mean, I remember in high school, I would literally throw a bullpen until I got tired. I got it. Yeah. And you know, because you know, pitching coach was great, but like I, I didn't listen. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I don't feel right yet. Yeah. He's like, well, you're pitching tomorrow. I was like, yeah, he's throwing a hundred <laughs> pitches. I'm like, yeah, but. I'll be fine, you know. Fine, so yeah. learn, learning a lot through mistakes, uh-huh. but you know, having the freedom and the space to grow mm-hmm. on my own. So like a lot of skill acquisition in, in high school. Got it. And then going into college, obviously, where you know it's there's a lot more at stake. Mm-hmm. We're Division One back then, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is why well, I went to Hilo, right? I had a chance yeah. to be you know five foot seven right-handed pitcher, mm-hmm. Division One level. I knew they were going to pitch me, so I went mm-hmm. there, and it was one of the be- obviously one of the best decisions I made. Yeah. Kind of for the same reasons, like a lot of skill acquisition mm. and then gave me space to grow and learn. Yeah. Just a late, you know, like a late bloomer on the ba- on the field, like as far as, you know, like, like pitchability or playability. Yeah. But like ahead on like skill development, I would yeah. say. So, I mean, it was, um, it's funny how life works out, right? Yeah. You look back in hindsight, like after my freshman year, I had a couple of division ones that wanted to have me to transfer. Okay. Because um, I played in the summer in Alaska that year after my uh, freshman I year of college. Got it. But, um. Yeah, I mean, just all kind of works out in the end, but I really needed that time and space to figure some stuff out. Got it. Yeah, explain a little bit about University of Hilo and kind of how you developed there and, you know, what were some of the things that helped you, not only through your baseball career, but even as a coach right now? Talk a little bit about, obviously, you had the chance to pitch a lot and, you know, play a lot and stuff, but what was it like facing, you know, higher level of competition than obviously OIA, right? But what was that like for you? And was the transition difficult or was it pretty seamless and smooth? Uh, I mean, it was, you know, so like growing up in Waihewa, you uh-huh. know, I had always gone to the schools in town. Yep. So my time management skills were terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'd, we live like maybe a mile from Lelahua, so I could get up at yep. 7.50 and be there by eight, you know, yes. one of those yes. things. Yeah. So going to college and managing your own class schedule and your practices and your weight uh-huh. training and your study halls, uh-huh. like, that that took a little bit of getting used to <laughs> yeah. for me just because I was such a country kid, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But um, I mean, for for me, like just being around like good good people. Like you know, I yeah. had a chance to go speak at their baseball fundraiser last year in okay. Hilo, mm-hmm. and I hadn't been back in like twenty years. Oh wow, yeah. But you know, like Co- Coach Joey Estrella, Callan Miyataki, a lot of uh-huh. those guys that are still involved in the athletic uh-huh. program there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they were really integral in my, in my development as a person, mm-hmm. right? Like, but they were good people. Yeah, they cared about us. They pushed us. Yeah. But like, you know, Coach Estrella is a very patient man, uh-huh. thankfully, because, you know, as a young, you know, whatever I was, hot-headed, you know, strong arm, hot-head, you know, like wanted to be good, but didn't know how yet. Uh-huh. Um, he, he really explained to me a lot of things about life and patience. And Got it. Um, it was something like mentorship-wise I didn't really have. My, my dad was like type A, really driven, mm-hmm. driving us all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, never good enough. You know, typical, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Asian dad, right? Yeah. 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 Never good enough, do it better, work uh-huh. harder. Uh-huh. Um, but like Coach Estrella was a really good balance for me for that. Mm. And then Coach Miyataki at that time was almost, he's the head coach now there. Got it. But he's almost 
like uh, almost like a big brother type. Uh-huh. Where he put his put his arm around you and build a relationship. Yeah. And then put his foot up your you know what when he <laughs> yeah, needs yeah, to yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think just being exposed to people that could communicate mm. the care factor was big. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and guys that were baseball lifers as well. Yeah. But just probably just exactly what I needed at that time in my life. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point, too, because I think you you bring that right to when you coach and help other kids now or, you know, whether they're in the minor leagues, major leagues is, yeah, there's their people first. Right. We got to relate to them and figure out what what's going to be the best way or best way to relate to them, to help them to improve. Right. And make changes. But also on the flip side, talk a little bit about that, because. You know, everyone, even when I was that age, right? We don't know what we don't know, right? So you need some of that guidance from someone that can share that insight or whatever to help you to bring out your best, right? Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that, like at that stage, I know they mentored you and they really showed, showed that they cared a lot, but was there anything that really was, like stuck with you or really was a light bulb moment that made you think like, oh yeah, there's a lot for me to grow you know, on the field or off the field or whatever it is, right? That kind of sticks with you to this day. Yeah, definitely. It definitely exposed me to the mental aspect of the game. Mm, yeah. um, one of our grad assistants was big into it. Lao Tamar Bucci is a fireman on the Big, big Island okay. now, but big on like meditation and those things that I probably also needed <laughs> at that age. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just the, the, you know, the relationship building like you touched upon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually something that I get you know, mm-hmm. complimented a lot of, as a, as a big like tool in my mm-hmm. tool belt Yeah, is that, you know, when I do, you know, like if you don't care about players and you shouldn't be yeah. in this industry anyway, yeah. but it was definitely something that was, you know, modeled for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, and it was the same comment I made when I did the fundraiser speech in Hilo last year was like, yeah. you know, the more I've been in baseball, which is in my third decade now in professional uh, baseball, right? Yes, like yes. the longer you're in it, the more rare, you know, you find it is to have people that are knowledgeable and care, like genuinely mm. care about you yeah. and your future and, you know, yeah. your well-being and, you know, both physically and psychologically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's something that, I mean, it's kind of who I am anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but even more so, the more I think about it. And I told Coach Oshella that last year we went out to dinner. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, man, all those, you know, like, thank God you're a saint when I was in college, like with all of us, you know, we just, yeah. we were just all a bunch of kids that wanted to be good baseball players and, you know, had to learn how, but like how important it is to have someone that genuinely cares about you as a human mm-hmm. to tap into the, yeah. the better part of you on the field. Yeah. But it was like legitimately not one of their motives to, mm. you know, to use, to leverage that, to get us better. Yeah. Like they just cared. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. like that was the biggest thing for me. So that's like something I've ca- definitely carried yeah. into my career as, you know, as an evaluator and a coach mm-hmm. for sure. You know, at the professional level is like, if you, you know, one, if you don't care about the players, you're in the wrong business, yeah. but you need to genuinely care about them as people. Yes. And you know, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people out there, right. That genuinely care about their whatever, whatever sport or whatever, even their strength and conditioning. But unfortunately, yeah, it's sometimes rare to find the people that genuinely care too, right? Which is, you know, you don't want to see that, but I think we get caught up in all of the other things, you know, like the outcomes or making sure that they perform better or wins and losses and all of that types of stuff that sometimes it gets, I guess, a little like blurred, right? Like, do these people actually care or do they just care about the successes, right, of winning? But that's something super um, important, I think, for any coach and athlete relationship is to have some care for not only seeing them succeed, but have care for them as an entire person, right? Thinking back, I want to transition a little bit because I know a lot of the, especially up and coming baseball players, they might want to know, 
okay, how did you get, or what do you think helped you to throw hard? Right? Because that's what young kids want to do, right? Is throw hard. I mean, I can imagine when, uh, think back to when I played baseball too, right? Not that I could throw that hard, but you know, that's what it is, right? Like long toss all the time, try to throw hard, right? And all of that kind of stuff. But if you have any words of wisdom or advice um, before we move on to your professional career, what would you say helped you personally throw hard? And you can kind of even sprinkle in some of the things that you even tell younger athletes today, mm-hmm. right? That need to increase their velo or whatever it mm-hmm. is. What are some of the things that will get younger high school players or college players to figure out what is it that they need to throw harder? That's a really good question, man. Cause I've actually something that I've pondered on a lot. Yeah. You see, it's why I got my first coaching job in independent ball when I got done playing is because, you know, I'm not huge. <laughs> and the manager's like, frankly, like, you, I see the way you train and you throw hard. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. how you do it, but he's yeah. like, I want to, like, tap into that. Yeah. And I said, well, I train like a maniac, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But two, like, I always was kind of blessed with the ability to throw baseball. I could always throw it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I put in the work to master the craft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reading about the 10,000 hours in the outlier, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. philosophy, it's kind yeah. of me. Like, it's kind of exactly how it happened. Like, I was pretty good at it to start, Got it. you know, just watching it on TV and it, figuring it out, right? I was pretty, always pretty good about, I could see something and model it and uh-huh. figure it out and repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the more I learned, you know, like, okay, that ball felt really good coming out, but just repetitions, man. Like, I threw yeah. a lot of long toss. Got it. Um, you know, it's like the the gift of being able to self-organize. Mm-hmm. So even as a minor league coach and a minor league coordinator, you know, when you're getting, when you're pulling from a pool of 16-year-olds in the beginning Republic that just signed mm-hmm. all the way through 38-year-old big leaders, right? Yes. Like um, giving them parameters, but then they have to, you know, they have to learn to self-organize a little yes. bit. Yeah. Um, and, and just like the, the value of that, but also like, you know, general strength training was important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ran a lot of hills. You know, I didn't yeah. lift a ton of weights in high school. A lot of legs and back just because yeah. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't know anything about it. But I didn't <laughs> want to tighten up in my, I knew I didn't want to tighten up in my yes. shoulders. Yeah. So at that point, it was a lot of hill running, a lot yeah. of leg lifting. And I played soccer too. Yeah. Um, so that helped a lot with like cardio and like lower, yeah. you know, like lower body and core strength. Yeah. But I mean, I couldn't remember too many days in high school and college where I wasn't like uh-huh. working out trying to get better. So I think the, the combination of those two things probably yeah. helped a lot. Yeah, the strength development is huge, right? To have that good base. But like you said, um, just having the insight as a kid, I think, not to get tighter and tighten up, right? Because I mean, that's things that even for me as a kid, looking back, did I necessarily under, understand that concept? Not quite, right? And I still work with college athletes, some pro athletes that that concept of being strong but being loose and flexible that's huge right having that mobility and also the second thing that i like that you said is that a lot of lower leg strength right mm-hmm. because yeah if you don't have a lower body don't have a core don't have hips right you're not going to be able to transfer that force into the ball mm-hmm. so give a little insight too like i think all of that definitely helped you plus your natural ability to throw mm-hmm. right explain a little bit about kind of like in high school years just to give an idea about how fast were you throwing? What were you being clocked at and stuff? Because I'll just speak from experience. I mean, when I was in high school baseball, right? Saw someone throw 90s for the first time. It was like, whoa, man, we're, this thing is blowing by us. You know, it's not even that fast, but it's like, yeah. we're not used to that. We're used to like mid 80s, right? Yeah, so yeah. talk a little bit about that. Like, what was your velo like um, in high school, going to UH Hilo? And was that something that was an advantage for you when you were p- pitching at all of these levels too? Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, you know, just um, 
you know, able to ability to re, like reduce reaction time from the hitters, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as like radar readings, back then it was like the ray gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those were like way slow. Like the major league average at that time was like 85. Yeah. So we'll just say you were being clocked higher than what you actually know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I know in college you got to like 92 or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. See, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's hard, right? And I think for you, it's learning how to be super efficient with your mechanics. Mm -hmm. Like, because you can you can have strong legs you can run a lot of hills you can do all of that stuff mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily automatically translate to pitching hard or throwing a baseball hard right and i'm sure you see that a lot of the time sometimes mm -hmm. all of their tests in the weight room they're off the charts but when they get on the field it's like it's not translating to throwing the ball right mm -hmm. so anyway it's kind of we'll touch on that a little bit more as we get into your coaching career but yeah talk a little bit about the transition i know you mentioned to me a little bit but you know you played professionally in the minor league system independent ball and then how did it how did that transition play out where you were actually interested and you know the opportunity presented itself to coach start coaching now you know it's funny because it, i never really aspired to coach <laughs> like like we talked about offline a little bit like uh -huh. goal you know plan a was make it to the big leagues as a yeah, pitcher. Yeah, yeah. and then when i kind of started to read the tea leaves and see that wasn't in the cards mm -hmm. um opportunities to coach kind of just came up so you know what man like i'll try this out you know the, the coach the manager that recruited me in independent ball to be his pitching coach i pitched for him right and uh -huh. i know we touched upon it earlier where, you know i threw hard he wanted to know why and yeah he felt like the way I prepared and the way I approached pitching was uh -huh. really interesting to him. You know, little did he know I'd be doing it, you know, these decades later. <laughs> but I mean, it, it was just one of those things where I wanted, I knew there was more for me to learn in baseball. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what plan B was at that time. Got it. Um, yeah. I probably thought at some point I'd end up being a writer because I did a lot of writing. Uh, okay. Wrote, you know, in college and covered, you know, for the newspapers and magazines. Yep. And then obviously yep. ran a column in the Star Advertiser yes. for yep. a decade. But um, I always kind of thought, okay, well, let's, let's gather life experience. Uh -huh. Like, I'm going to try to see how far I can get with it, what I can learn. Uh -huh. So, you uh -huh. know, when you first get in the Pro Bowls, okay, I want to make it, like, three years. Okay, yeah. I made it three years. I want to make it to five. Well, if I make <laughs> it to five years, that's a really good career. Like, I'll be really happy with that. Mm -hmm. Then I'll go back home and yada, yada, you know? <laughs> yeah. Then it was like, oh, do you want to try to, you know, coach for the Miami Marlins in the minor league system? I was like, sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to try that. I've never done it. Uh-huh. I want to learn, hey, do you want to run our pitching system? Sure. Yeah. You know, then it was like, you know, upwards and onwards, but it was just, you know, I never came into it with any expectations. Even like getting mm -hmm. to coach in the big leagues mm -hmm. with Texas, like, you know, people say, oh, like, you put in all that work, you know, you grinded it out for all those years to get what you wanted to get. And I was like, I mean, true, you, you know, we all want to mm -hmm. get to the peak of the profession. You know, uh -huh. you work for the Lions, right? Like. Yeah. But it was never like, if I had a vision board, it was never <laughs> yeah, yeah. on there. No, I, I relate to that, yeah. Um, explain a little bit about, because you, you kind of mentioned that, you know, these coaching opportunities just coming kept coming up and then you, you didn't really say no and stuff. But how did you juggle everything? Because you did say, yep, with the star, was it Star Advertiser mm -hmm. or was mm -hmm. it Honolulu Advertiser? Whatever it was. It was Star Bolton first star and then, Bolton and then first, Star yeah. Advertiser, yeah. Explain, how did you juggle all of that? Because at that time, were you scouting mostly? Or were you on a coaching staff? I was coaching. So yeah, you were coaching. Yeah. And writing the column. So I was scouting in the off season. Well, you know, I ran the column from 2001. Uh -huh. And then 2005 Got was it. about when I started scouting also. Got it. Um, so I'd scout Hawaii as an area, as an amateur uh -huh. scout, and then go up for the independent league season. I see, I see. Um, but it was, it, was, it was a lot, right? So, you know, there'd be... My deadline was Friday at <laughs> yeah, a certain yeah. time, whatever. Whatever, 5 p.m. Hawaii time, wherever it was. Yeah. So I'd be somewhere in the Midwest on a bus, you uh -huh. know, or the north or the south or the west or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, the, the thing yeah. I, I found really valuable, it, it made me reflect mm 
mm-hmm. on like where I was and what I had, mm-hmm. what I was doing, mm-hmm. what I was accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And like, um, you know, then coming home and meeting, you know, readers, you know, that were friends of yeah. my dad or, pe- you know, random people at airports. Like, yeah. um, just to see that, you know, it allowed people to, to kind of get a peek into that world, get mm-hmm. behind the curtain yep. and kind of see what that was about. So yeah. it, it was a lot. I mean, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Scout amateurs, you know, which is high school and college, you know, yeah. like scouting reports, yeah. you know, report to cross checkers, video, you know, send in video analysis, yeah. you know, all these things do in home visits with prospects for drafts That's crazy. and then head off to spring training and go coach <laughs> yeah, and yeah. write a column, you know, it was a lot, but I mean, I don't know. I can't, I'm a pretty good multitasker, I think. Yeah. I think I need to be, you know, I, yeah. I need to be entertained anyway. <laughs> so I think it was kind of a good fit at that time. No, you definitely have to time manage a lot, right? To do all of that and juggle all of that. Is this something that you always had interest in? Like, is there a major in journalism or something from University of Hilo? You know, it was something I was interested in. I'll, I kind of get to the backstory. Okay. But I majored in business. So I went to school to major in baseball, right? Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know what to major in. My mom was a teacher. She was like, ah, I'll major in education. If you yeah. fall back, you can teach and coach, whatever. I was yeah. like, ah, I don't know if I want to coach, but <laughs> yeah. that's fine. So I started off there and then it was like, you know what? Like my dad ran a business. He was an accountant in Wahewa, right? Okay. So he was like, you know, you, you know, he called me a hey boy. He's like, it's better for you to go learn about how the world works. Yeah. So I ended up majoring in business administration and minoring in econ. Okay. But the writing part goes way back. Like, you know, I was always this crazy baseball fan. I was a sports yeah. fan in general as a uh, kid. I see, I see, yeah. Sports Illustrated, subscription, you know, all that yeah. stuff. My dad would always buy me the almanacs and the journals, you yeah. know. And at a young age, you know, probably from like the fifth grade to like the seventh grade in the summers, uh-huh. his deal was he would drop me off, the, or I could ride my bike, or he'd drop me off at the Wahewa Library, and he would okay. pick two books. And Got I had to do a book report every day. Got it. Which, you know, sucked when you're <laughs> yeah, just trying to get your friends outside banging on the door at the library. Let's go, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, oh, hey, I'm almost done. Yeah. So it would always be something he'd pick, like a historical figure, and then I'd pick a baseball guy or a football guy. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so, but then, you know, my dad was a big fan of George Will's writing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have to read a lot of George Will. So when Men at Work oh, came out, that book in the uh, yeah, late 80s, early 90s, okay. which, you know, profiled Brett Butler, Tony Gwynn, Cal yeah. Ripken, like the guys who are the best in craft. Uh-huh. Um, so I, it was always kind of reared to do that, I guess, to oh, think I critically and yeah. to communicate my thoughts. Yeah. So when I got to college, I, rem- I was in Hilo and I was redshirting because I had uh, tore my ankle or my knee, tore my ACL that year, whatever it was. I had like back-to-back years where I hurt my leg. Okay. But uh, I don't know. I think one of the articles in the Tribune was a little critical of, you know, was, we're Division One, obviously uh-huh. the smallest market in Division One, and okay. the guys had a bad series. And I was, I was out that year, I wasn't playing. Okay. And I was, you know what, like, I think the people need to know yeah. how hard we all work mm. for the opportunity to play Division One baseball. Yeah. So I wrote a, an article about, like, all the required, you know, like, field work. You know, we had yeah. two different fields we had to manage at the time. And, yeah. you know, the demands of being a Division One athlete at a school like that with limited resources. Mm-hmm. Like, how hard the guys had to work just to get on the field every night yeah. to play, you know, Wichita State and Oregon yeah. State and USC yeah. and UCLA. Yeah. You know, constant uphill battle. Yeah. Um, so I just submitted a letter like an article, yeah. put in the Dropbox at the Tribune Herald. Okay. And I was like, ah, nothing's gonna come of it, but like, I gotta say my piece, I gotta get it off my chest. So yeah. I just had an electric typewriter and like banged it out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. sent it in and then maybe a week later, I got a call from Bill O'Rear, who was the okay. sports editor there. Okay. Um, really good guy, another guy that really mentored me quite a bit in that realm. Yeah. Um, and he said, hey, this is Bill O'Rear from the Tribune Herald. Said, hey, what's up, man? Yeah. Called me in my dorm, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So you got my uh, submission. Huh? I was like, yeah, it probably sucked. He was like, well, 
did you see today's paper? He said, it's on the front page. Oh. Yeah, so that kind of yeah. was the beginning of it. And then yeah. he was the one that really opened the doors. So I, you know, I wrote for the Tribune Herald a lot, strung for them a lot. Okay. West Hawaii Today. Then, like, opportunities with the Star Bulletin. I mean, the yeah. Honolulu Advertiser, yeah. Star Bulletin, Associated Press. Uh-huh. That all started to accumulate. Then I started doing a little work for the Sports Information Office. Okay. And then I was doing, like, magazine articles. You know, it was kind of crazy the way it kind of yeah. really sped up. So wow. at a certain point, I accumulated over 20 years of writing. That's like, crazy. From, yeah. like, 20 years old till whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like, um, yeah, the way that happened was kind of interesting. Yeah. But it was kind of, like, probably meant to be the way my dad kind of... <laughs> put that training into me and I, you know, I was just trying, like I said, just trying to major in baseball in college. Yeah, yeah. No, that's for sure, right? You got to thank your dad. Yeah, thanks for making for forcing me to do all these book reports. But I mean, you know, for any kid, I think it's not something that we like to do. But then when you practiced it over and over, it was a skill set that could help you to really combine like the writing skill set with your passion of sports and baseball. And it led to tons of opportunities too, right? No, this is all, it's, it's interesting because what we want to get to is how all of this is intertwining for mm-hmm. the last like 26 years that you said that you're actually doing this in the major leagues in some capacity, right? Talk a little bit about, okay, when you first started coaching, I know you mentioned that opportunities led to other opportunities before you know, know it, you ended up in Florida with the Marlins, right? Talk a little bit about as you started navigating this, how has that kind of early coaching years how has that, in a way, established that foundation for you and figured out like, oh yeah, I can really do this and make an impact on these players and you know show them that I care, but also help them to develop as players, right? What was that, that early formative years for you as a coach? What was that like and how did that establish the foundation of how you coach today? Yeah, it's really interesting. I almost went like in a, a backwards trajectory because I was, you know, coached independent ball. Uh-huh. And, you know, at first the, league, the leagues I was in were a lot of younger players, undrafted or out of the A-ball systems. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, pretty quickly it sped up to where I was coaching former big leaguers, AAA yeah. guys, yeah. You know, a lot of guys with, you know, really long in the tooth in their professional careers. Uh-huh. And then I'm doing that. So I'm coaching in Winnipeg, Canada, which is in one of the premier independent leagues at the time. And, okay. um, you know, anyhow, so I went from coaching a vast range of guys like guys that you know flunked out of junior college but through 96 to guys <laughs> that had four years in the show yeah and then going down to florida and not knowing what i was in for like mm-hmm. running the lower level complex like okay. and i go there and you know and i knew you know you know what you know yeah. and i knew that I had more to learn uh-huh. but like seeing the nuts and bolts of development and why every you know development principle is important uh-huh. for at the lowest levels as they you know they build towards the major leagues like why that's important like yes. i learned a lot of the why oh, I so see. i yeah i knew already knew had a pretty good feel for talking to players mm-hmm. and you know part of that like even though i'm from a prior generation like the way my brain operated uh-huh. was more like today's player believe it or not okay so i have a really good time relating to players that are in their Got 20s it. and you know like for whatever reason just the way my brain works and uh-huh. always has. Yeah. Um, and the way I like to be, uh, you know, spoken to and communicated with. Okay. Okay. You know, like I it always kind of operated that way, but mm-hmm. yeah, it really got me to understand foundation. Got it. So then as I got into my next job and my next job and my next job, like I understood more and more. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, you know, doing what I do is, you know, senior pitching, yeah. whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah. a lot of it is also like advising on the farm system and, and the yes. draft and like, 
all those developmental blocks. So like, it's interesting the way it works. You know, I did the f- fundraisers uh, speak, mm-hmm. speaking engagement for University of Hawaii last week. Okay. Um, and you know, Scott Robbs was a, a roommate of mine. Like one of my off season jobs was SID UH volleyball, men's volleyball. Oh, okay. So we traveled together when, you know, in those time in the uh-huh. early two thousands in the off season. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, he asked, you know, he knew the answer cause we've been friends and yeah. he's like, what got you to where you're at? And he's like, what do you think it is? I was like, dude, I've had a lot of jobs in baseball. Mm-hmm. I've played, I've scouted, I've coached in the minor leagues, I've yeah. run the systems, I coached upper levels, coached in the big leagues, worked in a front office, but it's like all these things just kind of accumulated to where they are. Uh-huh. But it's like, you know, like anything else, like I always look forward to the point in my career where I would have wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, I'm also like uber progressive, right? Which yep. is how I got to where I got, but yep. um, I always wanted to get to the point where, you know, the older mentors I had as a minor league coach in Miami, uh-huh. you know, Joel Coleman, the guy had 50 years in, in baseball uh-huh. and his dad pitched in the big leagues, his son pitched in the big leagues. Joe had done it all, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. was like really quick to take young people under his wing yes. to help. Got it. But it was like, man, I want to get to that point one day where I can help other people. I see. But it's just, yeah, just crazy collection of jobs. And like the perspective I have now is pretty, I think, I feel like it's pretty vast. Yeah. I can see it from a lot of different lenses. But like, you know, I, lo- I looked forward to that opportunity to, to pick up a lot of different experiences to get better, you know, just to be relevant in baseball too. Uh-huh. No, I think that that speaks volumes and it's a testament to how you view things and just always continuing to grow and learn, right? Because you are already helping a lot of people, but you know, it's always that hunger, right? Mm-hmm. To like fill these gaps or holes of things that we could improve at or learn more of, right? But I think that has helped you to, you know, excel at every position. Obviously, we can't know everything, but the amount of value or knowledge that you've gained from each position, that has probably, you maximize that to help you in the future positions too. So, you know, to, for you not to think that you're helping or providing a lot of wisdom to everybody, you definitely are. But I, I also understand, and I can relate to that too, that hunger to just keep getting better and better and, you know, look up to all of the people that has helped mentor you or shared experiences and all of those types of things with you that'll help you to pass it on to the future generation, right? Along those lines, let's talk a little bit about, so as you started progressing through your career, right? How did you fall into kind of, cause what you're doing now, it's very forward thinking, very progressive with utilizing a lot of resources, tools for data driven decision-making, right? With pitching, um, how did that kind of evolve for you? Because if you think about it, like even 10, 15 years ago, right? Sports science stuff or how we use data, it was nowhere near where it is like now or in the past few years. So what was that like for you? When did you first get exposed to seeing how data can actually improve coaching and training? Well, I think as soon as I got into my coaching career, like Uh I knew I couldn't rely on 20 years of playing experience. (laughs) I had to be innovative and I had to, you know, for me, it's always like competitive advantage. And the higher levels you move up through from amateur levels to the big leagues, like the harder it is to find those, those, you know, those margins that move the needle just a little bit. Right. Um, So it's it's funny, right? So just off topic, on topic, off topic conversation. But one of my closest friends is a hitting coach with the Pittsburgh Pirates, Andy Haynes. And we started off coaching an independent ball together forever ago, right? Decades ago. And, you know, he would always, you know, like, give me credit but tease me at the same time because at that point there was no 
analytic databases. There was okay. how sports data for minor league coaches. <laughs> Got it. So literally like binary, you know, like just like the most basic black and white batting average against and get to really dig. Yeah. And so, you know, that first couple of years when I coached with Andy, I lived in a, a host family. Okay. You know, rented a, a, yeah. a bedroom basically, but then um, our host mom was a retired teacher. Okay. So she had a whole like work area downstairs. So after games, I'd be down there by myself, you know, okay. the TV, the computer, mm-hmm. you know, the whatever, Apple TV, whatever, yeah. like the, the super old school computer yeah. tower yeah. and printing out like before every series like 200 pages of data oh yeah and sorting through it and handwriting it into index cards to have in the dugout so i can make better decisions on matchups because always always uh-huh. about you know like like we talked about before if you're not in it in the business to help players and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be in it yeah but i was like you know players have such a, a you know finite whatever that for each person obviously it varies but mm-hmm. with a finite window to maximize their potential yeah before the sand kind of runs out of the hourglass. So it's like my responsibility to get them to be, to optimize them mm-hmm. as quick as I could, right? Yeah. And that, so anyway, so he would always tease me because I would have books and books and books uh-huh. of all this printed out data and like handwritten notes and yeah. then, in, you know, condensing it into the index cards. Uh-huh. And then, you know, so there was an article about me in the athletic, I don't know, when I was working for Chicago. Okay. And he, he was, he just called me and said, hey man, like you were data driven before there was data to be driven, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, before that, and about then, what year was that? Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was literally like how yeah. sports data database sign in with our minor league club stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then pull up Andrew Takata. Yeah. And then look at like all his lefty righty splits. Yeah. You know, like pitch thresh, all everything you can have without pitch data. Yes. And then you know. So anyway, fast forward to that. Like I've done that all the way through independent ball, crew, mm-hmm. my independent ball coaching career, mm-hmm. and into the Marlins, and then second or third year with the Marlins, mm-hmm. you know, was kind of when that data revolution was just rearing mm-hmm. its head, right? TrackMan was just starting. Got it. And then our video guy at the time, Dan Budrika, who's now a scout with the White Sox, okay. he was like pushing the envelope, hey, we need to get these TrackMans in our Got fields, it. we need to get this. Was so that like, around like 2010s now? Yeah, like 20, 2012, 13 or something. 12, 13, okay. Yeah, yeah, like it started to get there, so he, you know, we just... We were the only guys that were kind of like interested in it in the whole world, right? So we yeah. have a lot of off, offline conversations about it. Yeah. And we do data sharing. So we play the Pirates in West Virginia okay. because we didn't have it at our stadium in New York for our A-ball team. Oh, so he would somehow work his magic and get the data and we'd sift through it and try to make sense mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward like a year or two after that, we, you know, Jason Pere, who's the AGM for the okay. Braves now, okay. was our head of analytics with Miami. Okay. And he just like, opened all the floodgates. He's like, here's my mm-hmm. password to TrackMan, True Media, mm. back, you know, like go in there, get your hands in it, figure it out. You have any questions, yeah. just come ask me. Mm-hmm. And that was like, boom, you know, my, my head, you know, exploded, you know, like the emoji <laughs> yeah. with the head, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like just going into a thousand pieces. Yeah. But I was like, man, all the things I wanted to know about competitive advantage when no one else is willing to do the legwork, because mm. it wasn't condensed in the one place. Yeah. You have to pull it. Yeah, yeah, you have to pull a lot of it. And then, like, you learn to make valuable assumptions. Or, like, what's it, you know, you create your own value system. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I became the coordinator, was able to utilize the data. And then I get hired away to the Cubs when they were in their World Series window mm-hmm. to run their minor league pitching. Got it. And then the resources there were just incredible, right? The mm-hmm. R&D was yeah. 20-something people deep. I mean, yeah. Miami, it was literally just Jason, like one guy. Got it, got it, yeah. So going from there to there and being able to find information quicker uh-huh. and make those decisions faster mm-hmm. and more accurately. Got it. Um, so, just, you know, and then uh, when I go to Chicago, we open the first lab in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball mm-hmm. in the winter of 17, right? So I go there and we're able to, you know, get your hands in the guts again and like a lot of proof of concept stuff. Yeah. 
lot of experiments. You know, had the minor league coaches come in shape in mini camps <laughs> and hey, we're going to work on this. We're yeah. going to work on this grip adjustment to create more friction. Mm. We're going to see like ground usage, like yeah. what does heel connection mean? You know, like breaking yeah. force, like how do we affect it? Right. All yeah. these things. And um, it just gave us that luxury of of time we had uh whatever it was like eight months to a year mm. lead time on the rest of the industry which is massive right yeah yep. and it was like 126 labs a year uh-huh. in mesa in our lab and just you know learning all like i said all the proof of concept stuff yes so then you go to texas and then like trying to push that you know mm-hmm. forward right because they're behind yeah um and finally getting to a place where we feel good about it now yeah um but yeah just like a lot of like driven to be better at my job and help uh-huh. the players be better quicker. Yeah. But then also like being in the right place at the right time a couple mm, of times as well. Yeah. No, there's so many things. And then one of the big follow-up questions is, well, was this something that you always knew besides just getting better at your job, right? Like, cause this is a skill set, especially before all of the data-driven stuff was happening, right? How did you, obviously the learning curve is super steep, right? Whenever we're sifting through data, organizing it, interpreting it, right? Was there something that helped you do this faster, I guess? Like, where were you, was there a previous experience that you were doing, you know, besides just looking at all the raw data from 20, 2001, right? What helped you to pick this up faster and faster? Or did, did the Cubs like research team really help to expedite that learning curve or what was it like for you in that early stages yeah you know i I think it really helped to have been a traditional coach Uh in the times predating the data revolution to have to build my own concepts right my own value system yeah and then kind of like using you know like proofing stuff out Mm -hmm. with the data revolution and like test not not being afraid to be wrong for the last 10 years about something Mm -hmm. yeah you know like really valuing the data to show me a different perspective yeah so i think you know it's it's interesting it's a really good question you ask because last spring Uh one of our younger a-ball coaches in texas asked Uh me the same thing like how'd you get good at it yeah i said well it helped to have done it for so many years before that Uh and then be open-minded enough to see that this can make players better faster but i think without the foundation that gets lacking so you'll see Mm -hmm. like younger analysts make that mistake a lot right they only read the numbers but like there's a lot of nuance and gray area to every decision that's made right like having been on the dugout in the dugout on the field seeing you know like the psyche of a player and like the Mm -hmm. actual production and what it means to you know like removing hitter confidence at the point of contact yeah like that's kind of the whole thing right yeah so if you don't get that aspect of it like you're missing the most important piece yeah which is like giving the player valuable information he can actually execute yes with his skill set his natural propensity to move you know and 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 also like the way his his mind is geared the way his psychology of pitching works right yeah yeah there's so many variables i like how you said like the nuance right because i i definitely agree i think my approach aligns with that is like the clinical practice and actually coaching them or you know doing seeing all the other things the intangibles that we can't possibly measure, right? And that nuance of working with people as people, right? And then you use the data to kind of confirm or justify or give you a thought process, right? To how to approach this and make some decision-making. I think that's the thing that, yeah, we all need to, you know, not lose sight of, right? Because if you just look at the numbers strictly, you could be missing the boat with like, what's actually gonna make an improvement, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're not looking at any data too, you're all, you could be missing the boat the other way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, that nuance, I definitely agree with that. I wanted to also ask like, because you know, you're known, well, at least what I know from you is that you're really looking at the pitching analytics, right? 
how did you or did you use this information that you were doing with pitching to help the hitters too or was it more like obviously the information is valuable but your focus was more on the pitching side definitely more on the pitching side yeah. but some of the most impactful conversations i have for my personal development as a pitching guy uh-huh. are with friends or major league hitting coaches okay. or okay. minor league hitting coordinators you know yeah. like just just you know, even when I was a coordinator for the Marlins and the Cubs, and you uh-huh. rove, right? I go city to city, mm-hmm. see our different affiliate levels, spend a week with each team at a time. And yeah. I'm also out in batting practice watching the Astros hit or the Dodgers or okay. the Rays or the Reds or the Phillies. Like, yeah. I want to see where they try to get ahead of where I see the industry going, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, don't get asked at all about our hitting guy in uh-huh. the big leagues the last two years, Donnie Ecker. Okay. Every once in a while when there's like a crucial game, he'll just kind of ask, hey, as a pitching guy... What do you think about, how do you think, you yeah. know, so-and-so is going to pitch us in this World Series game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd just break and say, well, he's going to do this. He's going to pitch this guy this way. His strikes are here. His chase is there. Uh-huh. He's going to put you in this trap. You know, like he's going to do this and that. And like right or wrong. Yeah. But at least it gives him a pitcher's perspective. So I kept, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that a better hitting game planner would be a pitching guy. Mm, yeah. Because he can is get it? into the gears of the pitcher because that's what matters. Yeah. You want to see what his approach is going to be, yeah. what his adjustments are going to be, his plan A, his plan B is audible. Yeah. His line true. of scrimmage audible. Yeah. What's he going to, what's it going to be? Yeah. That's, let's dive into this a little bit too, without sharing whatever you're willing to share and without giving away any secrets. Right. But baseball it's, well, obviously people know that it's a very, like, there's so much mental, you know, focus and stress and all of that, but it's so strategic, right? Because it's not like a, the best way I can relate, it's not like your constant nonstop sport, right? If you think about it, it's even slower pace or you're resetting more than football, right? Mm-hmm. Football, you're all 11 guys are running a play. Baseball, it's like, nope, the guy's going to, you know, figure out what pitch is going to do. The strategy is very, you know, depending on the situation, depending on what part of the game, who you have up to bat, right? The strategy is so important, obviously. Talk a little bit about what is some of your, I guess, like, what is your contribution right without giving away any secrets to how much you're actually helping to incorporate that strategy develop the players so that they can execute the strategy right and all of the other nuanced things that you want to talk about too right maybe the guy's not feeling that good today maybe he has some muscle soreness maybe whatever else right give a little insight into how data and your coaching philosophy has evolved to where it is today well, definitely, like, so we'll talk game planning in specific, okay. right? That's kind of the the big topic, I think, yeah. at, at hand. It's, um, for me, it's, you know, big league level, did a lot of events when I was coaching up there. And it was a lot of, like, what's the pitcher good at? Mm-hmm. What's the hitter good at? What's he trying to do? Yeah. And how do we manage that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, some teams, I don't want to say who they are, they yeah. have team approaches. Uh-huh. So you can pick apart pretty quick what they're trying to do to the starter because every hitter's trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And then there are other teams that have individual approaches and there are teams that are just trying to get their A swing off, right? But it's like, you know, yeah, like taking into account, like, how's this guy, how's our pitcher feeling? You know, what's he executing? Like, Uh you know, yeah, his slider might be a better pitch than his curveball analytically, but his trend over the last two starts, it's been the opposite. So let's stay away from it. You know, like... um, if we have a guy struggling with the shape of the slider or the command of it, uh-huh. a lot of times we'll just chase it and use the other pitches for strikes, right? You know, like find soft spots in the zone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're kind of breaking it down. It's kind of a lot like football, right? It's so much of like game planning in baseball is like being an OC. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. More right. offensive coordinator than defensive coordinator because we're imparting the action, right? Yes, yeah. So it's like, what's the defense? What's he giving us? Yep. And what's he taking away? Uh-huh. You know, is he double safeties over the top, taking yeah. away the deep <laughs> ball? Or is he, you know, loading the box, right? Yeah. So the pitching is the same thing where, uh-huh. you know, Jose Altuve, like, what's he, try, what's he been trying to do against us the last two series? Mm-hmm. And, like, how do we take that away? What did he do in his last series against another yeah. team with similar arms? Yeah. It's like shapes, you know, swing path, all these things, contact yeah. points. Mm-hmm. Like, where is he striking the ball? Like, what is, what is he, where has he been imparting his damage and how do we stay away from that? Yeah. And how do we attack that at the right time? You know, Mike Trout, Otani, all those guys. Yeah. It's a great chess match. It is, yeah. And, you know, like when you're facing that type of hitter, you're generally playing uphill, right? Yeah. But it's like, you only have to get them to miss hit a ball one time to get them out for that at bat. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. likely after the starter, they're facing another reliever every time. And you can kind of match up the strength of your reliever to the weakness of the hitter. You can do that stuff, right? Yeah. Once you kind of get rolling into the bullpen. Yeah. But that's a really good question, man. Like that's, I, it's, you know, I'm a huge, obviously we've talked football, <laughs> yeah. but very, you know, huge football fan. Uh-huh. And a lot of like game, pitching game planning is a lot like offensive coordinating a football. Yeah. Because you have to take into account what the hitter does. And there's a time and place, obviously, where mm-hmm. I'm going to run my best play no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to yeah. run my best pitch, best zone. No ma- my yeah. game's on the line. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's a lot of that balance. And the in-game adjustments, talking to pitchers. Oh, yeah. I know we talked about trying to work arm side against this right-handed heavy lineup, but they're, they're mm-hmm. taking that away. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about yeah. operating up and in with the sinker? Or what, you know, whatever, uh, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. What, what if we move... Like I call it primary lanes. What if we move the primary lane mm-hmm. to another spot to change his eyes and we can come back to the, the uh, primary, we can come back to that lane later yeah. with no, starters, you know? I'm so glad you shared that because the insight, right? It's so strategic and it's not as simple as like just throwing pitches out there, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, pe- most people know that, but it gets as deep as you want it to go, right? Without losing sight of what the goal is, right? The other thing that I wanted to ask is like, Think about this now, that was like kind of game planning, right? You're using all the data, previous history metrics, whatever it is, right? To see how we're gonna execute that day. Talk a little bit about, just to give a little insight as to what your like average weekly workflow is, right? Routine is like, you're constantly looking at data, right? And you're trying to figure out one, to increase performance, but also two, things that might be leaking performance, right? <laughs> you want to make sure that all of these guys are doing all the things that they need to do to take care of themselves during the week too, right? So explain a little bit about what's your average typical weekly workflow like and what is it that would you, would you say is like taking up majority of your time with the data or coaching or whatever else you got to do? I, mean, I think both in my job and coaching in the big leagues and the job now is like a more like a whatever, advisory analyst type mm-hmm. deal, like similar in the way where I'm always tracking our major league pitchers, mm-hmm. performance, trends, whatever, right? Like yeah. it's easy to track, you know, velocity and spin rate, mm-hmm. but like execution rates, you know, spin yeah. feel, like, um, you know, margin ranges and like, you know, we leverage the Kinetracks data, right? The motionless, yeah. mark, uh, markerless motion mm-hmm. capture. Yeah. So we have like trends on our dashboard to see how they're moving. So it's a lot of conversation yeah well both with the one the most important with the player right uh-huh. you know say hey like i know i know the you know the slider hasn't been performing like what do you think because i'm not feeling this yeah. so a lot of the work you do leading into his next outing is to correct those things mm. but there's also like massive conversations with medical staff yeah. training staff like what are you seeing you know like we have a guy that's you know he's compensating his velocity is staying constant but we can see it in the data yeah. we can see it with the eye test that he's yeah. getting to it in a different way mm-hmm. and not a healthy way yeah. like what are you seeing on the medical side like is he clear like has he been getting treatment for anything yeah. okay boom okay so next we go to the strength staff mm-hmm. 
you know, how has his training been? Yeah. Can we repeat his force plate test, his jump test? Yeah. Can we do his grip strength? Can we do his shoulder arm? Like, yeah. tell me what you're seeing. Yeah. Well, he's been favoring this. He's been dealing with a hamstring. Okay, well, yeah. you know, let's do more unilateral training. Whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever it might be. Like, just trying to, you know, yeah. bring everybody together. Yeah. Um, and in the worst case, it's like mental skills and nutrition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, because those things are a lot longer yes. term fixes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, basically, it's like on a week, day to day basis. Mm-hmm. You know, so like during the season, it's, you know, going to the office and then look through Kinetrack's data, pitch data, uh-huh. review the game. And I've already saw it live, right, in person. Uh-huh. But like seeing the game again, looking at pitch sequences, pitch locations, yeah. you know, all these things, right? Yeah. Um, how he's moving, how he's generating the shapes and the power and the spin. Yeah. And is he able to execute? And what is what are the hitters approach? What are they taking away? Um, there's that. And then... It's like, you know, coming to a, you know, a conclusion in my own mind, mm-hmm. but then like comparing that against, you know, recent trends. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if there's something like a red flag or a yellow flag yes, yeah. or a green flag, yeah, it's a good, it's it's a good, good yeah. finding. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, you know, I, I communicate. So like in the big mm-hmm. leagues, I communicate straight to the player Got it. in my job. Now I communicate to the, you know, the GM and then, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, whoever the pitching, yep. you know, the invested parties are. Yes. yes. And then, but you know, my thing is always like. I've never like been satisfied just pointing out problems. Like I want to have mm-hmm. a solution. Yeah. And sometimes it's like you spend three days finding the solution and it's not there. Mm-hmm. So you wait a little longer, right? right? You know, you never just speak to be heard, right? Mm-hmm. But in the end, there's always something, right? There's always something. And then, then once you find what the issue might be, the end, the end result, yeah. backtracking it as far as you can. Yeah. You know, like in delivery, you look at setup and first move because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. those are the easiest adjustments to make. Yeah. Because once the delivery is in flight, I call it, uh-huh. that once they're generating force yeah. towards the plate, it's really hard to fix. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at those levels and, you know, professional levels where they're yeah. generating that much torque, yeah. that much power, that much velocity. Mm-hmm. The, body's, the body's undergoing so much, right? Yeah. So much stress. Yeah. So, you know, it's like doing all of that to get to the one thing. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, the suggestion might just be throwing the fastball in a different spot. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I know the fastball up is generally plays well and all the metrics tell us it should but teams are taking that away mm. so let's put it in this location instead as a primary fastball lane uh, or stay away from it or reduce the usage of it or yeah. whatever you know like yeah. constantly keeping the ball moving for because yeah. you know we generally know which teams advance according to recency mm-hmm. and which teams advance historically yeah you know whether it's like the season body of work or the previous year mm-hmm. or the previous two years yeah. or some teams it's the last 10 days yeah and this is like, and then other good conversations I have are got friends that game plan for other teams. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we talk shop, you know, yeah. it's the only way we can all grow. Yeah. But no, it's, yeah. Sure. But it, yeah, it's, it's all those things. So in a day, like that's just on the big league side, that's the day. Then now in the front office, if it's also nearing the draft or there's a minor uh-huh. leaguer having problems uh-huh. or, um, you know, trade deadlines coming up uh-huh. um, or, you know, the, or the GM wants to send me to AAA to work with one of our 40 man pitchers because mm-hmm. he's been a little out of whack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then I bring them into the lab. We do all the data, the, you know, the baseline stuff, and then yeah. we we drill them, we fix it. I follow them back to the city. You know, it's all these things, right? So yes. it's like on a given day, it evolves quite a bit. Yes. Um, in this role. No, that's awesome information. I think it gives a lot of people insight, right, into how much like data driven decision making or coaching has evolved over the years, mm-hmm. right? I do want to ask like your insight, and you know, none of us really know, but. You can even see in the last maybe like five years, right? The amount of like data-driven decision-making, mm-hmm. sports science applications in the world of sports, it has just like 
exploded exponentially, right? And I think it's going to grow more and more with like more tools out there, AI tools, right? There's so many ways that we can look at data like we never did before, right? It's kind of like when, you know, you were doing everything manually, right? In early 2000s, and once like you had systems that could actually compile this a little bit more, it's like, whoa, this is so much better, right? And we can look at so much more information. And I feel like that's happening right as we speak, right? What is your perspective or even where would you like to see this head towards, right? Because like you said, um, it's really combining and integrating both the clinical practice of coaching and all of those intangible practices, right? With the data-driven and the science methods that will help us to train athletes better. But seeing everything you saw to date in your career and kind of looking at where the, the trends are going or where we're headed in this direction, where do you think the future of like this type of application is and what do you think is going to come in the next few years or five years? It's a really good question, man. Like um, the marginal gains and especially the big league level uh-huh. are getting so much harder and harder to find, uh-huh. right? It's like the NFL. There's so much parity. Yeah. Baseball's going to be the same really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like Michelle, my wife, you know, Michelle, yes. my wife. Yes. We watched uh, For All Mankind on Apple TV. Okay. And it's, you know, the about the space program, right? Like okay. it's fictional, okay. right? You know, yeah. but like, Based on truth, fictional, alternate uh-huh. universe stuff, uh-huh. but like the race to the moon and then the race to Mars, like that's what baseball yeah. feels like. You got it. Like everyone's fighting for the competitive edge to try uh-huh. to get there first. Yeah. But it's like to me, you know, the 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 bold win in the end, especially in baseball, you have to take chances. Mm-hmm. You know, the teams that were like the progressives early, yeah. you know, Tampa, Houston, and then Chicago when I was there, like mm-hmm. they weren't afraid to take chances. Yeah. Because you have to be first with the with, with concept, right? Yeah. But it's like getting so much harder and harder to find. And even like the way hitting training is done, mm. especially at the major league level where they have the eye pitch, which is they can punch in a pitcher, pull up his, his aggregate pitch data oh. and create the shapes, velocity releases in, on machines in the cage oh. during the game. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, so That's it's funny. like, um, you know, the outlier shapes, mm-hmm. like finding the next one, Got finding it. the next thing that combats the way hitting instruction is being structured, mm-hmm. you know, like... Mm-hmm. It's it's all the marginal gains. But in the end, it comes down to the players that execute yeah. and have the confidence and physical ability to do it. Yeah. But like, there's still margins to win in. Uh-huh. So that's my big thing is trying to win in the margins. Like, try to find all the small yeah. competitive advantages, whether it's like you know changing your release to tunnel pitches or creating more of like a mm-hmm. release angle advantage for a pitcher that has mm-hmm. some unique releases. You know, like yeah. they're just getting harder and harder to to leverage. Got it. No, I think about this kind of stuff all the time. (laughs) This is us kind of like nerding out on, you know, all of this little competitive advantages, right? Do you think that, because the more that technology gets involved, right? It's more like these little details that are adjusting certain things. But do you ever foresee, I guess I don't follow baseball closely enough to have an opinion on this, but do you ever foresee that with all of this data and how to train and how you can, you know, affect pitching delivery and all of this, do you foresee any like big incremental step in like we seeing something that has never been done before, at least in the past like 20 years, because we have data to show someone how to deliver a pitch like this or train like this. Do you have any opinions on that? Like, do you think we'll discover something that we've been missing or it's like, no, where our, our athletes are pretty much at the pinnacle of pitching performance and this is just giving us little edges whether that's execution or delivery or how to like strategically um go against a batter or do you think like no we're going to see like a different type of variation of a pitch or something like that or you know different types of 
whatever, change up, curveballs, things mm-hmm. like that. I do feel like it's out there. I mean, it's it, it mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't get as much press like the sweeping slider, the big slider mm-hmm. is kind of the in vogue thing where we, te- we were teaching it yeah. five years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like, there are things you can do like ball face deception, mm-hmm. like spinning a ball that looks like another, like it's going to go in a different direction okay. and like counteracting the hitter's training and oh. making it move in an opposite direction. We, we can do this, some of that stuff. Oh, so I, I do feel that. like there is some margin there. Like, um, I feel like, just my own opinion, I think the strike zone will change at some point, and that okay. will change how you can leverage big mm. shapes, you know, horizontally or vertically. Yeah. But I, I, there are ways, I and mean, we're, we're still doing it now, where we're finding ways to spin a pitch a certain way and make it move another direction. Got it. So just, point, you know, like creating confusion. I mean, no matter what the hitters have in recent training, mm-hmm. they still have their whole log of vision training yes, and, and exactly. you know, and swing training, and they know yeah. when they see a pitch do this, it's going to do that. Yeah. So like creating like an adverse action yeah. to a pitch that spins similarly or arcs similarly out of the hand yeah. to a prior pitch shape, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's still some of that. I mean, but yeah. I mean, the human body has its limits. But yeah. I do feel like there there is some there are even in the last year there's been a lot like a lot of re- like small revolutions happening oh, on the pitching side. But I mean, the hitting training is just getting so much more sophisticated. Uh-huh. But to me, like I embrace that, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I want to be one of the guys that figures that out, you yeah. know, like to me, it's like, you know, we get a pitcher from another club on a waiver claim or a trade mm-hmm. um, or even like a small deal or something. Yeah. And we figure out a way to get him better by changing the way he thinks about something or adding a pitch or whatever it is. Yeah. Changing his whole arsenal or the way he shapes his approach to hitters. Yeah. How he shapes his own, how I, what is what I call it. Yeah. Um, like just to unlock him a little bit more mm-hmm. that someone else didn't see. Like that's, to me, those are the wins too. Yeah. Besides the, the game wins and losses. Yeah. It's like unlocking the player's potential just by being exactly. creative. Exactly. You know, yeah. like the, the art of creative thinking, it's kind of like, even when you know as a kid even you know as i studied baseball even when i pitched like i never felt like i was out of options mm-hmm. i always felt like i could figure something out yeah and like now in this type of role like i can figure it out to help other guys yeah but i do feel like there's other things but at some point you know like the strike zone will change or the ball will change or the move yeah. the mound back and then you'll change everything else <laughs> yeah, yeah and start the race to the moon all over again yeah, you know yeah. now it's not the race to the moon it's the race to mars you know yeah. no that's crazy and it's interesting too kind of tied into this you mentioned how like they have that software that can actually recreate pitch shapes mm-hmm. shapes off the machine right mm-hmm. and stuff do you foresee any technology advances or maybe you're already using certain things that drastically improve the way that pitchers are training because like we don't know what's going to come up next right mm-hmm. maybe it's like some feedback mechanism or something that's going to give them a little bit more directed training do you think anything like that is going to come down with the use of technology and all of the things that we're evolving with I do feel like um, you know the technology and analytics, mm-hmm. you know, especially like the most the markless motion capture, yes. it allows us to make real time adjustments. Yeah. I think um, the more you educate the pitchers on it, the quicker they can make the adjustments. You yeah. know, in in competition, in flight, right? Yeah. So I think that's where some of the marginal gains will be. Like mm. you know, we've that was a big initiative for us in Texas when I went over. It was like to educate pitchers on how their body moves and what the reaction is, right? Yeah. Like what the end result is, pitch out of the hand, mm-hmm. and what how it affects ball flight and yeah. power translation and command and all those things. And it's like allowing them to make adjustments quicker in games. Yeah. I think that's where the like that's where the next like small data revolution is. Mm. I mean, Major League Baseball is not allowing us to have kind of tracks data between innings. <laughs> but if that ever happens, like that's a huge That'll you know, be, yeah, that's yeah, a huge leverage piece like for a guy like me. Yeah. Cause that's how we do our bullpens, it's how we train, it's how we work uh. between in the week, start to start. 
Yeah. You know, I'll review the data, go through it with the pitcher if there's anything of notice, yeah. and then we'll make the adjustment in the bullpen yeah. or in a storm program that week or both, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, just how fast can you make the adjustment with the information given? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, that's super exciting, and I'm all, always fascinated about those types of things. And just to fill in the listeners a little bit, Kinetrax is the mar- uh, markerless motion capture. So you have all of these cameras facing the pitchers, so you can see all of the metrics that they're doing when they're pitching on the mound. And in practice, like you said, it's kind of instant feedback and gratification. Like, are you actually executing a certain way, or hey, what's going on? We need to adjust this, right? And it's that type of feedback that I'm super excited with every aspect of training and performance is that the more that you can get that instantaneous feedback to know like, am I actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Or, you know, mm-hmm. is something else going on and flag certain issues? I think that's gonna, we're gonna just see performance shoot through the roof, right? Um, or at least make those little competitive advantage gains. And the second thing that I like that you said is that it's all about educating the athlete. Cause you could have all the data in the world, right? And we could know what it means, but if the athlete's like, what does like why does this why is this important to me then again we may no impact or can't help Mm -hmm. the athlete in any way so i believe the education piece is huge and that kind of leads me into i know we're both busy and i know you're taking time out of out of your schedule too this is your off season where you can relax so i won't keep you too much longer but i want to leave off with or end off with that education piece like knowing all of the things that you've known throughout your playing career coaching career right what are some of the big messages or even words of wisdom that you could leave with some of the younger athletes? People that are looking to play baseball at the next level, whether that's like playing at varsity in the high school level, going to college or making it to the pro level, right? What are some of the big things that you can pass on that really emphasize these are important? Like you need to build this foundation so that you can do all of the things that will help you get you to higher levels, right? Well, the biggest thing for me is learn how your body works. Yes. Functional movement screens, you know, yeah. like um, mobility tests of any yeah. sort. Like everyone's body yeah. is geared to work a certain way. You know, you know better than me, but like no, no. ranges of internal, external rotation yeah. in the hips, like ankle mobility, yeah. shoulder mobility, you know, ranges of, you know, degrees of range of motion, yeah. flexion, you know, or extension, like yeah. all these things. If you learn how your body moves, which, you know, it's, it's open season, right? I mean, there yeah. are a lot of places or people that can give you that information this day and age and doesn't always have to be hooked up to a bunch of micro sensors you know (laughs) like um functional movement but learn how your body moves and then optimize how your body moves because it also leads you know in pitching it leads to like how your body winds and unwinds like there's the the energy spiral right the energy spiral from the ground up that gets into the elbow spiral Uh but it's like how your arm how your body is able to move what the capacity is uh-huh. And then, like finding, you know, like finding ways to improve it. Obviously, like maximize the way your body's designed, the way your hinges work, as we yeah. call it in pitching. Yeah. And then, how your arm unwinds. Learning that because yeah. that'll dictate like what kind of shapes you can create yeah. and what your actual strengths are. You know, like are you creating side spin on a fastball? Then probably means you're a natural sinker guy that probably has dexterity to do these other things and move the ball the other way. Yeah. But like you know really thinking about what you do best how you're designed to move and like Mm -hmm. learning about it self-education and then maximizing those tools that's a great message and just to give a little insight before we sign off try to explain a little bit because i have my own perspective of this right because i think some of the people growing up in this day and age right they don't realize how much better it is now as opposed to like 20 years ago because even what you just said right now i'm thinking about when i was you know in high school or even college right how to get that information 
know, like, <laughs> now, it's like, now it's like so readily accessible. Yeah, go see someone that has done this or worked mm-hmm. with athletes, right? And yeah, you don't have to get actual like measurements and quantitative data. You can just talk to a professional, mm-hmm. right? And they can easily tell you like, oh, maybe these are things that you need to work on or these are some of your strengths, right? But tie that back into like when you were playing baseball, even at University of Hilo, mm-hmm. right? give some insight as to like how much we progressed since that time right because what you just said i'm thinking yeah in high school i wouldn't have been able to get any of that information right yeah i mean i remember you know my first pitching coach in college was rich Desa, who played in the big leagues in japan uh-huh. like awesome guy great mentor as well yeah um but you know i remember like in bullpens he would you know say yeah you know he's like well I really think you should throw next time you get two strikes on a right-handed hitter, like try to throw a slider. I don't throw a slider. <laughs> so hold it like this, and then you got 50 pitches in the bullpen. Go figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was it. Like you yeah. know, proprioception <laughs> at its best. Like yeah. go figure it out. Yeah. You know, like why is my fastball not hopping every time? Why does yeah. it run flat sometimes? He's yeah. like, well, move your thumb around yeah. and see where the ball goes. You yeah. know, like it was so much of that. Yeah. Where now it's like, yeah, the minute a, a player walks into a professional organization. Uh-huh. He's getting strength, functional movement, you know, yep. vision, you <laughs> yeah. know, psychological testing, you know, every, yeah. everything you can imagine. So we can tell you how your body moves and then we can design your training and your approach, like your game planning and, you know, like you're shaping your career, at least giving us a, a starting point. Right. Uh-huh. But it's like it's, you know, sci- the science driven approach is all it does is expedite your development. No, that's the joy. I mean, dude, yeah. I could tell you, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So many stories, man. I can't know oh, why is my changeup not going. This is like in pro ball, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, start it lower, you know. Like, okay. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's it's valid, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, the reality is, like, we can tell a guy in a big leaguer in September, mm-hmm. you know, why he's leaking velo- leaking power yeah. and not sustain the level of velocity he had in yeah. July. Yeah. And we can tell him with the data, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the first steps learning about yourself. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's a great message. Everyone should, you know, start to learn and everything that you go through, right? Whether that's weight room stuff, whether that's skill development, everything that you're going through, it's really telling you a story to teach you how to move your body better, Mm -hmm. how to take care of your body better. So I think that's a great message. And who knows, maybe 10, 15 years from now, we'll be thinking about what we talked about right now and be like, Oh, I can't believe we're that behind. You know, like everything's so so much faster now. But it's it just shows you how quickly, right? technology has helped to evolve the way that we're training and approaching sport Mm -hmm. um but yeah other than that do you have any last words for any of the listeners i mean you shared a ton i really enjoyed this conversation so any last words that you want to share out there no i mean you know i I think i mean in life the most important things are about know who you are be a good teammate yep and work hard so you can maximize whatever you're good at i mean it's in life right that's kind of it but i mean just just want to thank everybody for listening and for you know for you Andrew for having me. Yeah, and no, awesome. It was just more like a talk story session. <laughs> yeah. It was really easy, yeah. but it was you know a lot of the things that you know, the questions you posed are things that I don't you know like consciously yeah. address or think about a lot, uh-huh. especially the things from my past. And it's you know, it's kind of nice to like have to yeah. bring some of that stuff up and you know resurface some of the memories. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. No, thanks so much for sharing. And it's always great conversation with all of the all of the guests. You know, it's things even. Even if we, you know, had a casual conversation outside of this, sometimes we don't think about all of these things too. So I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. But I really enjoyed this episode. Everybody, 
you know, just learn more about yourself, how to take care of your body, and then it's gonna help you to reach all of the goals that you have set up for yourself. But thank you so much again. Thanks so much for joining me, Brendan. Yeah, thanks for having me.